0: The, the last thing I'd like to say is that you're not alone as a woman. If you have any, even as a man, any yeah. health condition whatsoever, reach out. There are other people out there. You'd be surprised to to note that there are other people who've gone through your experience. You're not alone. You don't have to suffer in silence. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, to manage the condition. You want to get help when you need help. You want to make sure that you know you connect to the right people who have the right resources to yeah. help you.
1: Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the hard conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe... That normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast with your host Anya Fombat. I have here with me today a very special lady with a very amazing story. Her name is Oyinkan Ogundele and she is nigerian and today we will continue the topic of you know shedding light on women's health and that is a topic of fibroids those in addition to other topics which i had mentioned before are one of those topics that i hold very dear to my heart not only from personal experience but also because these are topics that we have to keep the conversations going and not let it die so i want to thank you so much oyinkan for coming on here to Living African Podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm amazing. Thank you very much for asking. And I really want to thank you for the opportunity to be um, a part of this great work that you're doing. Thank Thank you you for featuring me on your podcast. (laughs) <laughs> dad, I well done you're doing such a fantastic job thank you um, so much i've seen a few of your videos a few of your podcasts and i think that you're really doing excellent so well done thank, thank you. you
1: thank you thank you so much me. appreciate it thank you for your kind words so let's go straight into it can you please tell us who is oinkan ogundele
0: sure uh, that's a very interesting um question but i would really love to answer that so oinkan ogundele is um a young lady i'm um Forty-three years old. I uh, was forty-three in in April. Sorry, how could I forget April? (laughs) And um, yeah, so um, I'm really, um, you know, blessed. I'm very happy to be alive. Um, I've had um, a bit of a a background with, you know, fibroids, and you know, I see myself as a women's health advocate at this time because I I after a lot of people with, you know, not just reproductive health challenges. I'm seeing that I'm getting into a few other, you know, um, issues. I'm getting involved in a few other things. I've helped somebody, a few people with breast cancer. Mm. I've helped a, a few people with cancer. I've helped a man with tuberculosis. Wow. I, You know, sort of assisted, you know, woman who'd had a full hysterectomy, but then she developed complications from, you know, doctors tampering with or not managing her situation well. And she'd had, you know, her bowels damaged and then had a colostomy bag, you know, fixed, you know, for about 15 months and and all of that. So I'm seeing that it's not just, you know, reproductive health challenges or fibroids or endometriosis that I'm looking at. We're seeing that, you know, this matter of health is varied. It's not just one thing. And there's so many things, so many issues that affect men and women and children. But we just have to see what we can, how we can plug in, how we can... Find that niche opportunity to do something, make an impact. So, um, like I said, um, my experiences with fibroids mainly. So, I got diagnosed with fibroids. I think in early two thousand and one mm-hmm. was the first time I really got a diagnosis of fibroids. My first knowledge of fibroids was sometime in nineteen ninety three. If I'm very correct, yeah. And there was a particular Nigerian journalist, and you know, very popular, very well loved. You know, she had died. We we woke up to the news on a Sunday morning that mm-hmm. she had passed on from complications due to a fibroid surgery. Mm-hmm. And you know, I felt to really t- that was so touching because she was somebody that I looked up to as a mentor. Yeah, she was a broadcaster. She had she ran um a, a blog. She wrote. She was an editor of a magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a, a broadcaster, newscaster, and all of that. So when she when I heard that she had died, I I was really sad because I was actually looking up to her, and it was because of her that I'd gone on to study mass communication as my mm-hmm. first first degree. So we woke up to the news that she died, and everyone kept on, you know, how people just pass comments and people were saying, oh, well, well, she she could have afforded to go to a hospital abroad. Why did she choose to have surgery in Nigeria? You know, why did she do this? It was, there there were so many questions, but I was really young at the time, 1993, I was I was maybe still a teenager. Yeah. And I wondered, you know, what this thing called fibroids was, but that was all I I knew about it. There wasn't, I didn't have access to the internet at the time to go and Google and see uh, what are fibroids. But you know, everyone just said fibroids and, you know, it's something that it was because she was trying to have a baby and blah, blah, blah. And that was it. So when I, when in 2001 I actually got a diagnosis of fibroids, it was like, so the first reaction that I felt after the news broke out that that woman had died was, I mean, sorry, after I got the diagnosis, I there was a flashback to that first time when I heard about fibroids, and my first reaction was oh fear, like oh my god, you know, am I going to die, you know, from having this thing called fibroids because the only person that I heard that it had happened to. You know had died, yeah. So that was the first emotion that came to my mind. And but the doctor calmed me down. Um, this was in the UK. The doctor said, Oh, no, you know, you don't have to die, you would need to, you know, just watch it. That it's actually a very tiny fibroids, mm-hmm. they had actually not even grown and they were really small. And I found out through an ultrasound scan, a routine ultrasound scan. So nowadays, you know, I, 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 I always have to remind people that it's important that we do like an, a routine annual check, annual health check. Yes. yes. Um, a lot of countries, you know, are beginning to, a lot of states in Nigeria, for instance, are beginning to incorporate that mm-hmm. with, um, you know, um, the, uh, what do you call the employment system? So if you're employed yeah. in an organization, you should have health, uh, you should be registered with a health man- management organization. We call them HMOs. Yeah. Um, you know, when you sign up with them, Then your, you know, it's like insurance, they cover a lot of your medical costs. Mm -hmm. Of course, they don't cover things like, they don't cover so much terminal ailments. So if somebody unfortunately goes down with, you know, cancer, for instance, or a kidney disease, there's really so much that they can cover. But at least for the basic things for, you know, having a health check done Mm -hmm. annually, it's important that you sign up with them. And if you're not employed by um, a corporate organization and you're doing your own personal business, you may also want to sign up to you know, health insurance, because mm-hmm. sometimes me- medical bills can actually be a lot. They can yeah. actually run into, you know, millions. Mm-hmm. And so it helps people to, to be insured. Anyway, to go back to my story, so I was, I was afraid. The fear was there, and the doctor said, oh, no, don't be afraid. Actually, these fibroids are really tiny. They're very small. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And the doctor told me that we're going to adopt the watch and wait strategy, mm-hmm. which is okay to adopt, actually. But in hindsight, when I look back uh, at how things panned out, I wish that, you know, when he told me that I should continue to watch and wait or we, we adopt that approach. It, it's important that, you know, people, when you want to adopt that approach, you will check regularly, maybe every six yeah. months yeah. or every year things are. I mean, I left mine for about five years. So from 2001, the next time I went to see my gynecologist was in 2005. By that time, my periods had now increased. Hmm. You know, I was using, say, for instance, initially when I started my periods, I was using a pack of pads. I'd now started using about three packs of pads you wow. know, for my period. So, you know, the increase was really significant. Yeah, exponential. And, you know, and I was bleeding profusely. I was almost hemorrhaging, you know. It was almost like, you know, you would let a tap open. That's how my periods were. Actually, to put it in context, I don't know if you're familiar with a fabric called adire. In Nigeria, we have this fabric. It's tie and dye. The procedure to, to make yes. this, we, we call it tie and dye. Yeah. And basically, you know, put your fabric in dye. You tie it and then you dip it in dye and then you, you know, sun it dry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I had periods at that time, it seemed like, you know, to put it in context, it seemed like doing my adire, putting my fabric in the dye and then instead of putting it in the sun to dry, actually taking it and putting it on running tap. Hmm. like tap water and you know imagine what would happen it's not dry yet yeah the, the dye will just wash out mm-hmm. of the fabric mm-hmm. and all you left with will be the pure white fabric mm-hmm. and so um i was constantly tired i began to you know feel anemic i mean i was feeling tired low on blood you know i was just it was just difficult to to continue yeah. but i managed it managed and managed it until sometime in 2007 when at that time, you know, the fibres had even increased more significantly. They had grown in number. They had, I think, about 23. They had increased about 23 from the one that was found in 2001. Mm-hmm. So by that, by 2007, I didn't have a choice but to, you know, to allow the doctors, you know, carry out the, the surgery. And it was a South African doctor, you know, that performed the surgery, white South African doctor, mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the questions that I asked was, because I was still afraid, and I asked, so, you know, what are my chances of survival? He said, oh, as with any surgery, there are risks, there are risks of complications, there are other risks um, associated with any surgery. But that, you know, he can assure me that, you know, he's been doing this surgery for so long, maybe he said for 20 years, and, you know, he mentioned that mine was the number so-and-so that he had done. I don't remember the exact number that I was you yeah. know, in the statistics, at the time but then he also said that you know so I asked him so have you ever had any complications with this kind of surgeries and he said okay well the only time that he's had a complication was in a young lady um, and she was about 27 and that unfortunately she was bleeding throughout after the surgery and they couldn't stop the bleeding and so they had to take out a uterus they had to you know do a total hysterectomy mm-hmm. I mean I was I was I was afraid I was like no I'm not having this surgery. But he said, no, he, he, he answered that question because I asked the question. Yeah, and that. But that was only one case in so many thousands that he had done. But eventually when I didn't have a choice, I had to, you know, subject myself to surgery because I was then beginning to, so my stomach had increased, like I said, significantly. I was bleeding out. So when I had periods, blood was actually just all over the place. I was having accidents. Mm. I would sneeze, you know, I was just, blood would just escape. Well. I would cough and there will be blood all over the place. So it was just impossible to manage. And and then, you know, because of that, I had to then go and have surgery. In actual fact, there was a particular time when I became extremely anemic, that I my, my blood count was about 4.6, mm-hmm. and the doctors avoided how I'd survived. Because, wow. You know, that was below average. Yeah, that like, was really I, low. I, they tell me that, yes, from what I know now, they say that, Um, A normal person, when your blood is okay and it's normal, you should have about 12 hemoglobin counts. 12, yeah. 10 to 12. Yes. 12, 10 to 12. Yes. Apparently, when you're at 10, it's just you're just on average. It drops down to eight. Yeah. Here, here, that doctors need to transfuse you. Yeah. Uh, They want to transfuse. That's the the next available option. Mm -hmm. Um, Imagine I was 4.6. The doctors were, they marveled. They were like, They couldn't couldn't believe it. I mean, immediately they put me on. I had to get a blood transfusion Mm -hmm. and I got got about four pints of blood. And immediately after I began to see the changes, like, you know, my skin color, skin tone changed. Color came back to my skin. Mm -hmm. Um, My skin was clear. I mean, I've been fortunate not to have pimples and, and all the acne and things that a lot of young people have. But at the time, I actually didn't realize that it was because I was anemic that my skin was not that clear. Because the pimples would need blood as well to, yes. to thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, that was how bad it was. I was so anemic. I was so tired. Anyway, to, to, to come off that. So I then had to have surgery because, like I said, I was just bleeding out. So I didn't have a choice but to, you know, go for surgery. So the the procedure that was used at the time, the doctor administered an injection called Zoladex. Mm-hmm. So the sense of the injection was to shrink the tumor and they were looking to minimize blood loss, yeah. right? So apparently that drug is used for anyone with any kind of tumor. So even people with cancer, um, doctors administer it just because they want to, you know, when they when they take the patient in for surgery, mm-hmm. into the theater for surgery, they want to minimize blood loss. Mm-hmm. And so they administered that drug. So I took one injection per month for three months. And actually, by the time that the doctor was going to perform the surgery, I told him, I said, doctor, I called him one day to say, oh, you know, or when I went for my next appointment, I said, oh, doctor, I don't need this surgery anymore. And he said, why? I said, because my stomach has gone flat. The mm-hmm. fibroids have disappeared. He said, no, 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 no. They haven't disappeared. They're actually still there. It's just that they are smaller. Uh, but we still need to go in through, you know, surgically, you know, to take them out. Um, otherwise, they will go back. So, so that was the that was what the doctor told me about that drug mm-hmm. but I didn't actually realize that there was a bit more that I, that I didn't know but anyway that was in 2007 so I had the surgery done in I think it was in August of 2007 or June of 2007 sometime around that time anyway so in t- from 2007 to about 2010 I was okay the bleeding was manageable it wasn't as bad as as profuse as you know, um, the initial time before I had surgery. Yeah. But my period didn't go back to normal time before I started experiencing fibroids. I was still having heavy periods. It was just that it was not as bad as before surgery. Yeah. So sometime in two thousand and ten, then got married and um um a cousin of mine came to visit me one day and she started asking, Oh, so when I?" When I have a baby babies when I am like, I just got married. I mean, we are still we're not even ready mm-hmm. for the babies yet. Let's you no, but she says, Oh no, 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 I mean at your age, you don't need to wait, just start. Da, 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 da. And then she told me about this drug, you know, that people were taking and that everyone that she knows that has taken it were having multiple children, multiple births. They had, they were becoming pregnant and having, you know, multiple births. So I said I really don't need this drug because you know I actually don't have issues with ovulation. Apparently, the drug—I don't know if I'm allowed to call the name—but I don't want people going to buy yeah. buy the drug <laughs> over the counter drug. Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of people available in the markets in Nigeria. I'm sure it will mm-hmm. be available in, in Cameroon as well. Yeah, but in in countries where drugs are well regulated, properly regulated, it's not a drug that should be so over the counter. Yes, be, right. But I was able to get it over the counter because, you know... No regulations. Go go there and -and so-and-so chemist will be able to to give you the drug and just tell you you take two a day or one a day or whatever. So I bought this medication and it helps women with ovulation issues. It helps to regulate their ovulation and maybe to stimulate it and all of that and regulate it. I didn't have issues with my ovulation at the time. But then peer pressure... Someone advised me, self-medication, basically. I bought the drug anyway. And I read the leaflet. You know, drugs would usually come with a leaflet. Yeah. So one of the contraindications in the leaflets was that if you've ever had um, fibroids, you know, and you take this drug, you are at risk of, you know, um, developing fibroids again. Um, you're at risk of, uh, risk of your uterus getting enlarged, blah, blah, blah. All of that. You know how things can just seem like, what are the odds that it would be mean that I'm one yeah. percent. But right now, in hindsight, and seeing how my journey has, you know, has transpired, I understand that I'm actually the 1% that they talk about, you know, that they, that is supposed to be the exception or that 1% chance. I'm that, I'm part of that 1%, yeah. right? So, I, that, which makes me extra careful now with my health because I don't take chances anymore. Yeah. So, right at the time, I looked at the contraindication and I thought, what are the odds that this would affect me? And I didn't think it, it would be me. And I took the drug. I only took one one dosage, like a pack of of the medication. And surprisingly, maybe about a few weeks after, I started noticing that my stomach was getting bigger. So, you know, I was I thought that, oh, you know, maybe I was pregnant. But then I was having, I was doing pregnancy tests upon pregnancy tests. And they were all negative. negative. But my stomach was growing. So I was wondering, why is my stomach growing? Um, until one day... About the third month, I mean, I, I looked visibly pregnant, except wow. in fact that you the weren't tests pregnant. were showing that I wasn't pregnant. So I went to a hospital and I consulted with a doctor. And the doctor said, oh, my, you know, you you need to have it's suspected fibroids because he had touched and touched. And he said, well, I feel like these are fibroids, but let's go and get a scan done. So he did the ultrasound scan and he went, "Oh, oh, my God, you have so many fibroids. Oh, my. What are you doing? you know with the fibroids there's so many and I think at the time I actually had a period so I was also very anemic and yeah I, so at the results of my of my blood test blood counts and all because they had done a full blood count and his initial reaction was what are you keeping this uterus for you need to get it out like oh my god You're gonna die so it was such a bad you know when somebody delivers bad news the doctor lacks he was so tackless yeah. i would never go back to that hospital anymore and you know people recommended the hospital it was supposed to be a very good hospital and the doctor is supposed to be a very very renowned gynecologist but on the day i don't yeah. know if it was the bedside something, something service to
1: me. it's not maybe
0: he just had a bad day but it didn't again i was a one percent maybe oh. because he just said it badly on the day and I went home crying because he had just delivered the worst news ever. Yeah. Um, this is a young, married young lady. The doctor is telling her that, you know, it's best to get this uterus out because the fibroids are just all over the place and it was just consumed, you know, the entire womb space and mm-hmm. there's really no need to keep this uterus. And with this anemia or these iron levels, I might as well just go and, you know, and, um, you know, get the fibroids out or get the womb out. So I went home really crying. I called the HMO and I was crying and lamenting that this doctor is really a bad doctor. Anyway, at the end of the day, what happened was um, I, I left that doctor and I, and then I went on to consult with other doctors and then decided that, you know, again, I was my mom said, no, 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 you can't have surgery in, in anywhere else. You know, so I had this second surgery done again in the UK. Um, and this Zoladex injection was administered the second time. Um, and you know, and I I thought that that was okay. But then just before the, the second fibroid surgery, um, the doctors had also told me, um, during one of the scans that a cyst was found in my right kidney. And so they were going to continue to monitor it, just watch it. Yeah. And if there were any changes, they were going to let me know. So just before the second, um, surgery, they told me that I had, you know that cyst, and that they needed to take it out. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm having a myomectomy, which is a surgery to remove fibroids. Yeah. In a few weeks' time, that's fine. You can just do the two um, surgeries at the same time, and I can just heal nicely, and and I'll just go back to work within six weeks. And the doctor said, no, oh, no, 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 it's not that easy. Yeah. That's not how easy it is. We have two major surgeries, and that like, you cannot do them together except you want to kill You'll yourself. Bleed. Yeah, you like can them. bleed to death. And the pain. He, no, he actually said that the pain alone. Oh, to yeah. kill me, so he said that I needed. So they're giving me a note to go to the hospital for the other, you know, surgery. So right after I'd done the fibroid surgery, I was prepping for the right partial nephrectomy. The surgery was called yeah. because it was a, it was a um, surgery to remove um, a part of the kidney. So during the pre-op um, assessment, the sonographer was then, you know, doing another scan, and she was like, "Oh my God." Oh my God, what? what are these things? Oh, you have so many of them. And then she, it turned out that they were fibroids. And I was like, no, 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 you're kidding me. You can't be serious. Like I had surgeries. So it's not even six weeks yet. Yeah. You know, my notes, it was at this hospital. There's no way that I would have fibroids. She look at them. Look at this. So many lo and behold, less than six weeks after my second myomectomy surgery, I realized that I needed a third one. Wow. And I was like, what? What's going on here? I mean, I was hysterical. The doctor put it in my notes that the patient became hysterical because I was just crying and I couldn't understand what was going on. He then asked if I had who my next of kin was Then he called my mom and was, you know, explaining everything to her, you know, and then next thing anyway, at the end of the day, I decided that, you know, I was going to allow them to perform the the surgery to remove the cyst from my kidney. Ah. If I'd known what I know now about that surgery, maybe I wouldn't have allowed it. But good, thank God that I actually didn't figure it out or I didn't find out. I, I didn't do any research about it mm-hmm. at the time because if I did, I would have said that they shouldn't do the surgery. It was a, it was a major, Apart from the fact that it was a major surgery, it was also an invasive, invasive surgery. Yeah. They were poking and prodding. How do I know? I watched um, a demo, a video online subsequently because eight weeks after I'd had the surgery, I couldn't stand upright. Wow. I was so crouching over. I was in so much pain. Then the doctors said that apparently, the reason I was in that much pain was because they had cut through a nerve that goes through my spinal cord, and so um you know, and that's why I was experiencing a lot of pain and anyway, this the cyst was taken out. The doctors tested it. they said that it was a it was a carcinoma. it was a renal carcinoma, which obviously as you know, is a cancer yeah so but because they had found it early, they had needed it in the board. Uh, it hadn't spread It hadn't gone anywhere else so they're just taking it out and then they sent it off for um testing but the very interesting thing was that the doctors then said that um they were going to test me for um 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 what do you call it they 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 they, they were suggesting that i may have a genetic defect yeah because i had um this fibroids which they termed aggressive fibroids and then i also had um you know um this in my kidney, mm-hmm. they felt that I had um, a, a genetic defect. And they called the condition HLRCC. And the HLRCC basically, um, HLRCC syndrome, it means hereditary leiomyomatosis mm. and renal cell cancer. Mm. HLRCC. Um, and so they were looking for another um, thing. So they they'd found two things. They found fibroids they'd found that I had a, a, a renal cyst and they were looking for a third thing, which was supposed to be lesions on my skin, like growths on the skin. Yeah, yeah. And if they had found that, they'd been, they, they would have been able to say categorically that I had a genetic defect. Mm-hmm. But because thankfully they could not find that third thing, they could not put me in the in the 100% chance of having a genetic defect. Mm-hmm. so they sent me off to a genetic testing clinic and they registered for about five years. The doctors were testing, checking, did my family history, family tree, and all of that and all of that. But anyway, I had to come back. Thankfully, though, I had MRIs done every year. Um In fact, it was every quarter for a while. Then it becomes two, twice a year. And then, you know, right now, I think it's about one, once a year. And since 2013 till date, you know, thankfully, by God's grace, I've been fine. I haven't had a repeat um, of that situation with the cancer. But I still had... To go to, uh, to revisit the fibroid story because don't forget that I said during the pre-op for the kidney cysts to be removed, they I found was told that notable. I still had fibroids. So I thought, what happened? So that got me really curious. Um, in Nigeria, we say something. We say maybe it's home trouble. Home trouble means you know maybe it's a curse. Maybe there's somebody behind matter mm. and all of that. I start thinking that way because I, th- I couldn't it's like your that village how. people are. <laughs> village people, are they, are they people me that had recently had surgery and they're telling me that the same reason I had surgery, I need to go for a third surgery. So I started researching. Then I found out that one of the characteristics of the Zoladex injection was that it had the tendency or potential to shrink tumors so much so that some of the tumors would shrink that the doctors could not see the um, fibroids either during the surgery, or maybe some of them were so tiny, mm-hmm. they were almost insignificant, almost negligible, or they thought, this one is not it's not going to make do any, any harm.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so that was what the problem was. So the fact that you leave a fibroid behind, even if it's as tiny as a mustard seed yes. or as a rice grain, it has the potential to, to grow, grow back to the original size, So which was what I encountered. So once you stop taking that medication within six weeks of stopping it, the fibers can actually go back again. So that became my dilemma. I'd been cut open for nothing, unfortunately, as I realized, because the fibers that I thought I had been taken out were still actually there. very much still there. So it became a dilemma. Uh, I don't know if I should call it that. That was my flight. Yeah. And I was going through that and I was suffering, and I, I still continued to bleed profusely. So I then started looking for another doctor to do the fourth major surgery, which was then supposed to be my third myometomy. In fact, before all of these surgeries, I tried herbs, I drank all sorts of things. I actually am convinced that one of the reasons that I had that cyst in my kidney was as a result of all the all the, the herbs, concoctions. concoctions that I don't even know what were mixed together. One time, um, one of my in-laws brought something to me to say, oh, drink this. Um, the person that drank it, um, two months ago in, you know, a particular part of Nigeria, you know, had the fibre like a baby. And so they wanted, they were encouraging me to drink the same thing. And lo and behold, when I put the drink, they brought it, you know, in a plastic bottle, but it was a dark container. I couldn't see the content. So as I lifted, they said, don't put it in a cup, just, just, you know, carry the bottle to your mouth and drink it. Oh, wow. And as I, was, as I was about to do that, this stench that came out of the, of the bottle, the smell, wow. it was like a mixture of petrol and kerosene. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it seemed like, you know, something really potent, something really strong. And I was like, what is this? What's in this thing? Do you guys want to kill me? Oh my How God. bad can this thing be that you're bringing me this? They said, no, 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 drink up, drink up, drink up. Don't, don't say you're not drinking it. We knew that you would say no. And that's why we like, no, but you can't give me something like this. I don't know what is in it. What exactly? You know, they gave me all sorts of things. On that day, I refused Blondie. I, refused, I said, no, there's no way I'm drinking this thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for that time, I drank all sorts of things. Yeah. In fact, one day recently, I met a lady who told me that someone had advised her to drink cactus juice from cactus plants.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I know you, know you know the cactus plants. A lot of people say it's poisonous. Um, I don't know how somebody would tell her to drink it. Yeah. Um, but what she, the reaction she had was that her entire mouth, she had a sore gum. Everywhere in her mouth was sore. Um, her mouth peeled. Yeah. So, you know, people, when you have a medical condition that you don't seem to understand, also so people will come with advice. Sometimes the advice may not even make sense. In fact, a mad person can tell you that, oh, all you need to do is go and drink water from so and so place and you'll be fine. And if you're not careful, you will take that advice just because you're looking for a solution. Well, you're desperate. The yeah. Is People should not be desperate to start trying things that are not tested. Before you take anything that is a herb, ask to see someone who's taken it before. Ask to you know ask questions.
1: You ask get a doctor be... first of all. Like ask a medical no, you know, someone who's specialized yeah, in that field
0: to tell you. Yeah, you know they will tell you not to that to nothing it, works. But yeah. you know sometimes we don't believe them. We think, you know, they 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 they're, they're, they're biased. You know, they think if you get anything really strong like a gene or alcohol, it can break down the fibroids. But that's actually life. Yeah. Fibroids are muscular in nature. And yeah. so, you know, the, the, the way they are, they are muscles and nothing breaks them down, except really if you have a miracle or, you know, you have surgery. Surgery, yeah. so that So that, that's what I want to want to say. I know there are people who say that they go on a diet, they juice, they do this, they do that. I've not seen anyone who, by myself, I can say, I know that this has worked for so if I have somebody who's who, who has gone through that process, I'd actually like to follow them, and I, I'd like to see the results, and then I'll be able to recommend. But for now, I know just a few ways. If you don't get divine healing, know that you go medically, you get medical healing. Right. Those are the two ways that I know yeah. right now. Nothing else works as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So um, that's that's it for that. So then. What you want to say something? I don't know. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I wanted to just add that actually, you know, well, first of all, the disclaimer for this episode is that we are not well, we're not specialized in fibroids or women's health from a health professional perspective. This is strictly based on personal experience and just external experience as well. So all the things we're saying is are not factual you know they're based on experience in general but what i wanted to add to what you said was you know i personally have probably met just one person who based also based on her experience has had some sort of success with fibroids and uh, i think i interviewed her in one of the earlier episodes i think the title is a different perspective of healing from fibroids, something of that sort. I'm going to share that with you. And I'm also going to add that to the show notes of this episode. I and
0: I, I was watching it earlier on. I actually saw saw that. Podcast.
1: Right, right. It. So I would actually oh, recommend it. that you reach out to her, to Mane. That's her name. Mane Endoping, actually. I recommend that you reach out to her just to pick her brains and see like, you know, her point of view and her reasoning and her own experience, you know, because the the thing too is that, and that's also one of the things that we will address eventually, we're used to always doing something because somebody else has done it, you know, like the multiple examples that you have given to me, like, you know, your family member or a loved one will say, oh, take this, somebody who did this, has, you know, had this kind of thing. But then sometimes even medications, even medically, medications may act, people react differently to medications. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying that to reinforce what you're saying, you know, that it's very important for us to really know what we're putting into our system and not just taking it because somebody else has taken it, you know? So yeah, that's just what I wanted to add. But it's a very interesting perspective. Medically, I have not like, send anybody that has been completely healed from fibroids with any other way than, you know, our, I mean, there's no, there's no cure to fibroids, by the way. You know, there's a lot of research that has been done. This one is a fact. A lot of research has been done and, you know, they're still trying to even understand the source of fibroids, you know, but ways to make it better, like you said, surgery. And just because, the fibroid has gone away does not mean that it cannot come back or just because it's small does not mean that you cannot grow, you know? So, but Mane's story, that's the only person that I have heard her story. And it got me thinking like, huh, there may be something into it. But then again, that approach that she took towards fibroids is relative to her and not like a universal approach. So I totally agree with you. So
0: And the other thing that I'd like to say is that, you know, it also depends on the size of the fibroids, yeah. um, the location of fibroids and all of that. There's so many factors that we have to consider before we, you know, choose the best um, option. option but yes, yes. I was actually watch, watching is listening to Manu's, you know, Story. podcast,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but I didn't I didn't finish listening to it. So I'll, I'll listen and, and definitely I like to connect. I like to, you know, um, you know, reach out to other people and hear their experiences. And if it's something that works, yeah. trust me, I'll be recommending whatever it is that she's used, uh, yeah. asking other people to try it. And, yeah. You know, because, you know, the research that you say, you know, have been done or have been done, um, it, they are they, been done, but it's actually not sufficient because it hasn't really, really, you know, we haven't been able to say categorically yeah. uh, this is real cause of fibroids. Fibroids, so yes. Things. Yes. And so until, until that, we, we can find the, the cause, yeah. Yes, until we find a cause, you know, can we cannot find a solution. Continue.
1: Yeah, we need to have a problem to solve. Yeah,
0: to be solved. Yes. Yeah. So, 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 thank you for for uh, providing that insight. And then I would like to say, so basically, so that was my second surgery. So, and then I needed a third surgery. And then after the kidney um, episode, let me let me leave that part out because it's another long story we're not <laughs> talking about this right now. But um, I then had to then find a doctor to do my fourth major surgery, which was then my third myomectomy. So at this time, I realized that, you know, I had to then take my own health, take charge of my own health, like take my own health more seriously and be my own health advocate. So I preach that a lot now, that women need to be their own health advocate. You know your body best. You know your body better than any other doctor. And so you know when things are not going right. Right now, I know how I'm feeling. Um, If I feel something that I didn't feel yesterday, I know to raise you know to, to, to question it and so that's what I want women to do um that was supposed to be part of my closing charge anyway yeah but it's okay that I'm getting in now because maybe somebody may not listen to right. the end of this <laughs> podcast. it's very important that you take charge of your health so at that time when I realized that come on these, these doctors are they kidding me like how can I have the same surgery three times what's going on you know I began to research, and then I found out that the, the Zoladex injection that was being used for me maybe it works for other people, um, but it wasn't working for me. And the other thing is, I suspect that the, the, they're not they're not taking feedback. If doctors were taking feedback, I'm sure they would have found other people yeah, like had the me same that issue. Zoladex didn't work for, and they would have been able to know that healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all approach, and so you have to customize, you know, the healthcare for, like healthcare plan for different people. Maybe you have like 10 different buckets and say, if women are this age, this color, this size, this, I don't know what the parameters would be, but you can then classify people based on certain, you know, parameters and say, okay, you think that this is best suited to treat this, person's fibroids as opposed to telling everyone that you all need to have surgery you all need to have a hysterectomy mm-hmm. you only need to have a this you only need to have a that it has to be customized yeah so if doctors were taking feedback they would have known at least i for instance would have given feedback that this zoladex that you guys gave me the first time and second time it definitely did not work and so you should you know consider other options for some women when they've you know when they've had repeat you know, sessions with, with fibroids. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so at that time, I was then looking for a doctor who was not going to use Zolodex. I knew that was consulting with a lot of doctors abroad. A, a lot of them actually use this injection. Mm-hmm. So I then came to Nigeria to look for a doctor. So I found, I consulted with so many doctors actually. Um And that's why right now I preach. So when I say preach, not preach. I know what I think, you mean. Yeah. But I advocate that women should have a connection that is important that you have a connection with your doctor. And when I say connection, you have to feel like this doctor knows what they're saying. Yeah. You feel comfortable with what they're saying. You feel at peace when you're with them. Yes. You feel a point where if you're...
1: They want your best interest.
0: Yes. You know that they want your best interest and you feel like to, to you, it's like you're almost in the hands of God, basically, yeah. when you're speaking to your doctor. Right. So I was looking for, I, I mean, I was looking for that doctor who I would connect with. And there were so many other doctors who were very much qualified and I just didn't connect with them. Some of them sounded like, you know, one, one time I consulted with a particular doctor, It sounded like a butcher because all I kept on hearing was, oh, oh these are just fibroids. We just need to cut it, cut it. And <laughs> as, as I hearing, all I could hear was, all I could see was a picture of a man in an abattoir where they cut, cut um, killed rams. Ugh. This guy just cutting me. And that was all I could see. So, you know, have, you know, that thing that checks you. I always say that women, you know, we, human beings, really, when you're in a place of danger, there's something that corrects you. There's something that yes. checks you. There's something that tells you that this is not safe. I don't know about your instincts, you know, growing up, but in the part of Nigeria where I'm from, people talk about, you know, when you enter vehicles that uh, I don't know how to say this, we call something one chance. Like people get into vehicles where um, someone is about to rob you, or you know, or rid you of your possessions. Yeah, you know, before you get into such vehicles, sometimes you know something that checks you. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're a Christian, you say it's the Holy Spirit. If you are not a Christian, you may say it's sixth sense. I don't know if, you know, other people of other faith have, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure we all have it, but there will, there will be something that they call it. But that mm-hmm. thing that checks you, that tells you that you're in a place of danger, I want you to put it into use when you're with your doctor. Going to your doctor is almost like going to your mechanic. Yeah. You're taking your car to a mechanic. If you take your brand new car to a mechanic that is not trained to look after that car, that car will come out worse than it went in. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing as you going to a doctor who you don't feel a connection with, who is not equipped to look after you, you understand, mm-hmm. you will come back battered, even worse than when you went to see the doctor. Yeah. So so it's important that you connect to your doctor. When I found the doctor that performed my final surgery, I knew it, that, yes, I'd found the right person. Because everything that he said was in alignment with the things that I was, you know, that I'd researched and I was looking to find out. So, and then he kept on assuring me okay, madam, you know, this is what we need to do now, right now. Mm -hmm. The the fibroids are sitting on your bladder. It's beginning to affect your kidney. It's beginning to do this. If you don't do this, this will happen. And I was connecting with everything he was saying. I didn't feel like I was talking to a butcher. Of course, he was still saying the same thing. It was was going to cause the fibroids. Yeah, but it's the way he he said it. It was not. The way he said it, it didn't sound like I was speaking to a butcher. You know, you can talk to, you know, really qualified doctors and you don't connect with them, and I also want women to know that not every doctor is your doctor. The same way, not every mechanic is your car mechanic. So yeah. you can take a visit then to um, a Peugeot, um workshop. Mm-hmm. You may not that 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 person may not be able to fix it. So you just need to find the right doctor. Connect with your doctor. Be sure that that person is your doctor. And prayerfully consider it. And you know you'll be fine. I'm here as somebody who's had four major surgeries. And, you know, I'm doing well, doing better than where I was coming from before I had even the, 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 the surgeries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still have my uterus intact. Everything is still fine. Wow. Um, and I, the other thing I'd like to also encourage women: a lot of doctors say, oh, hysterectomy is the, is the only option. They talk to women because they see the size of their fibroids, the number of the, the, the multiple you know, fibroids that they have. And the first thing they recommend is the hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. I want women to have it at the back of their minds that sometimes doctors actually are working to their own in interest. Yeah. They're looking for the, the the thing that would work quickest. Um, The solution that is the easiest, easiest. for them to deal with. Yeah. They're not looking, actually, it doesn't outcomes. mean that they've, they've, they've considered the outcomes for you. And they are looking, only a few doctors are actually, you know, looking at it holistically and saying that, okay, actually, this woman still wants to have a child. This woman is, is, 25, you know, if we take out the uterus, um, how is she going to You know, menopause? Is she, was she going to need her own treatment? All of that. Not all doctors think through like that for you. They're just looking to solve the immediate problem. They don't yeah. mind if you come back in two years' time. So that's the reason that you want to be your own health advocate mm-hmm. and you want to see what's best for your own body before you make a decision. And wow. it's the reason that I also ask women, before you go to any doctor, you want to also find a few people who have gone through that same experience ask for their experiences. If it tallies with your experience, it's possible that you may be able to use their story to map out a treatment plan yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Oh, wow, this feels like revelation to me, actually, because it's the first time I'm saying what I just said now. <laughs> that you may want to find a few people, it basically just came as Rema. Yeah. You may You may want to find a few people who've gone through the same thing that you've gone through. And, you know, knowing what they've been through and relating it with how you feel you may be able to map out a great treat- treatment plan for yourself. Right. I think that's it in a nutshell. Um, I'll let you, you know, take over from here. And But I would like to actually speak very well. I'm better than I was six years ago. I've not been sick in five years. COVID came. I'm the only one that I know that hasn't had COVID. Mm-hmm. Everybody else that I've come in contact with has had COVID, including members of my own family, right. including people that I live in the same house with. And uh, people had COVID and miraculously, I don't know how my immune system is so 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 tight right now. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's from all the blood transfusions that I've had or <laughs> all the charcoal that I ate because oh, I didn't tell you about my experience with pika. So when I was very anemic, I had this encounter, this experience with pika. And yeah. I accidentally found out that it's called Pika because yes. one day I, I I was tempted, I ate charcoal. And you know, if you eat activated or treated charcoal, I think that's okay. Yeah, it's But fine. if you eat charcoal that is kept in the most unkempt conditions, you know, you begin. I, I had that fear that you know maybe I'd eat eating poison, um, and that was what made me go onto the internet to see. I'm eating charcoal. What are the side effects? <laughs> um, you know, a community of crazy people on the internet um, that are suffering from something called pica. So pica is the condition where your, your body is craving non food items. Yeah, non food items. To satisfy a craving, it's usually because of a deficiency. Yeah. And it could be an iron deficiency, it could be uh, some other kinds of deficiencies. But people who suffer anemia, you know, have PICA. And yeah. I experienced that a lot. I mean, I had my white blood count at some point was 27,000. The doctors were like, what is this? A normal count should probably be a 5,000 or so. Yeah. And they were battling to bring my temperature down. You know, I was in such a bad state at the time. But right now, I've not been sick in five years. Wow. You know, I just need to go to the doctor just to go and, you know, smile at my doctor because otherwise... You know, the doctor would just think this lady hasn't come to see me in a long time. So that's basically where I'm at right now. Everything is doing well. Even my hair is looking good. Right.
1: (laughs) Everything looks snatched. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. My goodness. Like there's nothing more to ask. You've just said everything. (laughs) I swear. There's really nothing more to ask. So. You know, you you elaborated this story so well. You gave so much advice to people in our community. I mean, the Avid listeners of this platform should already know so much about fibroids in terms of, you know, typical signs and symptoms and all those things. So we're not really going to go into it because we've spoken about that so many times. But I also try to, you know... Ask the guests as well to just talk about the, what they experienced from their own personal experience, right? So I know that you were bleeding a lot when you had your, you know, your period with the fibroids and stuff. So at what age did you first start experiencing that bleeding? And then did you have like pain, you know, did like what other symptoms did you experience which warranted you to pay the doctor a visit?
0: Okay. Fantastic questions actually. Thank you for, for asking those. i um, so I like I said I got diagnosed with fibroids in 2001. Um this is 2022. So I probably was about 21 years old at the time. Mm. So which brings me to the, the to the question a lot of people ask that oh, we thought that fibroids only happens to people who are much older. No, fibroids we're beginning to see younger, much younger people. Yeah. Um you know, 18 and you know, to about 21, 27 having fibroids. So fibroids mm-hmm. is not something um, that just older people have. anyone with a, with a uterus can actually have fibroids, And I got diagnosed at a very, very young age. Yeah. So I probably started experiencing the heavy bleeding maybe at age 25. Um, thankfully, I didn't have um, any pain. My periods were very normal um, in terms of pain. Um, and it's good that you've asked that about pain because actually we're beginning to find out now that painful periods are actually not normal. Yeah. And... Uh, to be as a result of other conditions, um, you know, maybe endometriosis, maybe some other, uh, maybe even PCOS and, and yeah. some other conditions. Um, so women really need to, you know, get a proper diagnosis, and um, because I know that endometriosis is something that isn't properly diagnosed and it's something that a lot of women suffer from. Suffer from, from um, yeah. As well. Yeah, It's one one other thing that you want to, you know, invite someone to speak sure, about sure. um, um in, in the future because it's like the twin sister of, of fibroids um endometriosis, adenomyosis, um are also conditions that really, you know, put women in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and um, and discomfort. Yeah. And because, you know, a lot of it is not diagnosed properly because um just an ultrasound scan may not be able to detect
2: mm-hmm. um
0: endometriosis. Um usually it's when women are opened up. Recently I had a um a, a um somebody a member of my community that came to me and, you know, I recommended that she should see a doctor. By the time the doctor performed the surgery, they realized that she had actually also had endometriosis. So wow. sometimes women have like multiple conditions in one. And it's one its one with the most um, prominent um, um, side effects or effect that the doctors spot first. Mm-hmm. There are other conditions. Thankfully, I didn't have pain. But, I mean, I was praying for pain um, as opposed to... Um, the heavy, bleeding. heavy bleeding, heavy yeah. bleeding. Well, you know, sometimes you know, God doesn't answer all prayers. I don't know what would have happened if that prayer was answered, but I was really genuinely praying that I should swap the anemia with pain. My threshold of dealing with pain is a lot higher yeah. than you know uh, what other people experience. But I don't know if, I, if the kind of pain that I prayed for, if that pain came, maybe I would have said, oh, God, you know, I don't actually want this pain. Right. I to, you know, but I didn't like the experience with the anemia. And so I was really, really praying for pain. But the other symptoms that I had was, you know, bulkiness around my my abdominal, um, area. So mm-hmm. abdominal area. It was so big and I was experiencing a lot of bloatedness. Um, I found that when I was drinking, you know, I stopped drinking milk because every time I drank milk or, Yogurts and things like that i could just feel like my stomach begin to grow immediately so people with fibroids you know want to you know cut down on things like milk you know red meats um you know even white starchy foods bread pastries and all of those those things processed foods we want to cut down on them as much as possible and you know boost up our fruit and fiber intake and take more vegetables um, you know, leafy greens. I don't know, maybe that's what's helping me right now. Like I said, i am mm-hmm. not been sick, but I'm, you know, really dozing up on my um my vegetables and my fruits mm-hmm. every single day. I try and make an effort. I used I never used to like eating vegetables or eating fruit. Um, the other symptoms that I experienced was frequent urination. Yeah. Oh my god, I would go to the U almost four times every 20 minutes. It was yeah. like that. And But I will find that when I get to the bathroom, you know, with the way that I was feeling so pressed and I get into the bathroom, the trickle, it would just trickle down. Yeah. Like it it wouldn't be a a full, you know, um, emptying of my bladder. Bladder. And five minutes after or 10 minutes after, I feel like going again. When I asked my doctor, the doctor actually explained why that was happening, that I was not, you know, because of the way the fibroid was sitting on my bladder. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't expelling all the urine but the urine was still there. So I would go back and I was like, I'm tired. I'm actually not one person that likes going to the U, especially when I'm not in my house. I'm not comfortable using people's bathrooms. Imagine me having to go to the bathroom every so often. So very, very uncomfortable. So, you know, there were several other, other symptoms. What else? Yes. So, but the main, main ones were the fact that my skirts, you know, I couldn't wear, um, trousers. I didn't like the look of trousers on me because my stomach was just always looking bulky. Ah, uh-huh. I, I was always looking very pregnant. Everyone, you know, I get into the banking hall, and people are moving me from the last from the back of the queue to the, the front because I yeah. like I, was, I was ready to have a baby, and no one wanted a woman having a baby in their banking hall. Right. And a lot of times, I'm surprise! I'm wondering what's going on, but when I look at my stomach, at how large it looks, wow. I realized that oh, wow! I I, I understood why. And I think the last surgery that I had about 42 fibroids were taken out.
2: Wow. Um,
0: in fact, I said that, yeah, there were 42, it was a lot and different sizes. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it was just, um, you know, very difficult, wow. a very difficult time, but I'm thankful that I'm, I'm over it now. And right. I can share my experience without crying. I know, mm-hmm. I
1: know. Thank you so much for sharing that, you know? Now let's, let's talk about the anemia.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: go ahead. Go ahead, please.
0: The most important part was the heavy bleeding. So apart from the anemia, the fact that I couldn't wear white. So tonight I'm wearing white. Yes. There's a significance with wearing white. If you see a lot of my pictures, I'm beginning to wear white now Mm -hmm. because I didn't have one single item of white when I had fibroids. It was just, it was just pointless wearing white because my period could just start and before I know it, my, my, clothes, my you know, clothes would be soiled. So I didn't have, all my clothes were black, 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 black. I didn't wear any white. And I couldn't stand red as well because I was always seeing red in my periods. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like the, the, the sight of red. So right now, if you look in my wardrobe, you find a section of red, a lot of red clothes. I have so wow. many of them. I have a lot of white clothes, so many wow. of them. And, you know, this story is just that I can wear white. I'm part of a. There's a movement in America called the White Dress Project. I think they are. They 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 do something. They call it themselves that. One of their uh, what do you call it uh, we can wear white. Yeah. And I like what they're doing so much that you know women are free to to bloom. We're free to wear our whites. Um. So yes, that's one part that I forgot to mention. Heavy bleeding that was wow. always soiling my clothes. Wow.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing once more. Just to focus a little bit on the anemia, because a lot of people, including myself, are probably, well, I, are anemic. I'm, I, I have anemia, especially during my time of the month. And normally my blood hemoglobin levels are relatively lower. So sometimes I have to supplement with iron supplements. But I wanted you to talk about how that anemia impacted your quality of life. Because I know that you said you would rather the pain than the anemia, you know. So what symptoms did you experience with that anemia? And how did that affect your quality of life to the point that you would actually prefer pain than the anemia
0: i love your question phenomenal <laughs> question thank you for asking so my experience with anemia was was really really bad and i would explain so one of the first things that i'll talk about was tiredness yes i was constantly tired i was always tired like i wake up you know when people have slept you slept through the night and you should wake up feeling refreshed and yeah. energized I didn't have, my energy levels were always so low. And like I painted that picture, it feels like, you know, once I had a period, the quality of my blood just Mm depletes. It's almost like I said, putting water, tie and die under running tap and everything just washes off. So yes, I'll still have blood, but the quality of it, the good part of it is washed off. It's just washed down the drain. So that's how bad it was. So I was always, always tired. Wow. I had a lot of out body experiences, Yes. Like I had dizzy spells, leading to me having, you know, there'll be times when I'm actually literally having to hold on to something to stay within myself. I don't know how to describe this because yes. it's not a feeling that everybody... It's has. like lightheadedness,
1: dizziness, and you're like hallucinating.
0: Dizziness, hallucinations, yes. But sometimes I actually felt like I was out of, I was coming out of my spirit. I don't know, like something, like I was, life was being snuffed out of me hmm. a lot of times. And you can understand that if somebody that is supposed to, if normal blood count is twelve between ten and twelve, and then I was having four point six, yeah, clearly it was almost like putting a car on the road, filling it with petrol um, or gas, but not having engine um, oil in the in the engine. Mm-hmm. The tank would be full, but the engine will shut down at some point. Yeah, that was basically what was going on with me. So the the battle with tiredness with fainting spells, dizzy spells, you know, just, it was just impossible to manage. Yeah. And it also robbed me of, you know, apart from my quality of life personally, you know, it also robbed me of, you know, things at work, you know, I couldn't concentrate, you know, concentration was difficult. Yes. Because you, know, you need blood, enough was blood difficult. flow because apparently blood, you know, even my Bible tells me that blood is life. Yeah. Um, you know, that life of a thing is in the blood is in its blood. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have blood, Going even your people brain. ask you for your age, for your name, you're almost thinking, how old am I? You're almost thinking, what was my last age? You understand? Yeah. What, which name should I give? It's, almost like thinking <laughs> the it's slow. Process. Yeah. It's not clear. You don't have mental clarity. So that alone was bad. And, when you're when you are in a in a job where you know you're assessed on things that you do for you to be able to get a promotion then that kind of woman is going to be stunted you're going yeah. to have stunted growth yeah. because nobody wants to promote you because you're half the time you're not even there you're not even present yeah they tell i remember in in the past i've been have been you know queried for things that sh- i shouldn't normally get queried for but i've been told i've been assigned this task but i'm struggling with my health i've even forgotten that I'm supposed to deliver this item. It's the day that they're asking for it that I remember, oh my God. Yeah. So things like that, it robs you of ever to the story of that woman with the issue of blood in the Bible. Yeah. I always say that, you know, if we get to if we get to heaven, I'm going to go and look for her and I'm going to tell her that she is really a woman and a house. Like she's right. gone through everything possible. The Bible says that she lost, she 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 spent all she had. She saw all the physicians. You know, it was very difficult. I know that at the time even I'm sh- I'm sure that she couldn't even have gone into church yeah. for anyone to have prayed for her. So it was such a difficult thing that she went through. And so I just I just want to encourage women out there if you have yeah. this thing, you know, find a solution to it. Don't continue to live with it. Don't yeah. continue to live with anemia. It is dangerous. Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I almost I, I personally on a personal level, like remember, I said I'm normally on the lower end of, you know, the spectrum when it has to do with the normal limits of the hemoglobin in the blood. And I remember several years ago, I had a twin miscarriage and I remember I lost so much blood in addition to the fact that I was already borderline low in hemoglobin levels. I lost so much blood. I think my hemoglobin level was about six or yeah, something of that sort. and. They had to do two blood uh, bags of pints of blood. They had to transfuse two pints of blood into my system, and I experienced the the symptoms that you just spelled out. In addition to that, one of the very prominent symptoms that I also experienced was like extremely fast. Heart rate, which is tachycardia, especially when I, I mean, I didn't even have to stand up. Like when I was laying on the bed and I s- sat up, my heart rate just went off. And that's just because, you know, the heart actually pumps the blood, right? So when there's not sufficient blood circulating in your System to balance off the heart rate, then the heart now tries to overcompensate for that low blood levels in your body and tries to overpump the blood, you know, to go through the body and make up for what's low. And in that case, it's very, very easy to have like heart failure or something of that sort because your heart just overworks itself and then it starts failing, you know. So those are one of the symptoms that. You know, people can watch out for, you know, men and women who are anemic can also watch out, especially when your blood levels are getting dangerously low that you may need a blood transfusion, you know. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now let's talk about the organization that you started. You have such an amazing story and I'm very sure that you actually had such a reason, in French we say raison d'etre, you know to start that organization because I'm very sure you wanted to, you didn't want other women to go through what you went through. So can you please tell us more about your organization and how the audience can support you?
0: Thank you. Thank you for that question. You're absolutely spot on that I didn't want any other, or I still don't want any other woman, any other person to go through the things that I had to go through. I believe that if I had somebody who was doing what I'm doing now at the time that I was going through, you know, my experience with fibroids, I would not have needed um four major surgeries um to get into to the place that I'm at now. So I, you know, started during in twenty twenty, July of twenty twenty, I started this organization called that I call My gyny uh My gyny Foundation. And we we do a few things. We Um, try to help women. And when I say we, Mm -hmm. and members of the community, because we're building a community, Mm -hmm. it's it's beyond me. So I'm not going to continue to say me, me, me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I found it, you know, uh, but, you know, we're working with a lot more people um, to make sure that we are reaching um, a lot more, uh, more women. But what we're doing is um, number one is providing information. Obviously there's a lot of information out there, Mm -hmm. but information, like I said, it's, it's not a one size fits all approach. And people need to understand that we have to, you know, customize healthcare. So when you're dealing with fibroids, what sort of fibroids are they, where are they located? Those kind of questions will help women, you know, will help us make informed choices and know how to deal with you know the particular type of fibroids that this person has. Yes. Because of the number that they have, these are the options that are available to that to, to this person. So information is out there, but yes. making people understand or pick the information that works for them is number one thing that we do. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there's availability of information, but helping to channel the information rightly, helping people connect to the information the correct way is one important thing that we do. Number two thing that we do, and apart from raising awareness, is that we also walk women through that journey. Uh, Like I said, if I had somebody doing what I'm doing now, I would not have needed the number of surgeries because I would have known to ask the right question. Yes. I would have known for, for a fact that when doctors leave fibroids behind, they will tend to grow back. I mean, doctors are, you know, people say that, oh, how long does it take for fibroids to grow back? In July, on the 16th of, sorry, on the 16th of November, I celebrated five years of living without fibroids. I mean, I still feel my stomach. I still touch it. And this is me from coming from a place where I had um I had um, a diagnosis of fibroids six weeks after I had a surgery. You know, for me to be five years without, it means that if you find a doctor that does the right thing, or if you you find the right treatment, fibroids don't have to, you know, to occur that frequently. Yes, I do understand that new ones can grow, even after all the old ones were taken out. But I want doctors to at least know that they want to take out everything. Because I speak to ladies and I hear them say, oh, the doctor said I have six fibroids, but we only need to take out two and mm. because those are the ones that are in the cavity of the uterus. The other four are not very important. They're outside. What happens when you leave those ones? They grow back. I always say, it in, you know, in our Nigerian parlance, we say it, it, it takes room and power Like it just spreads the tentacles. Yeah. So they become bigger because they find that there's more room, there's more space for them to grow. So doctors need to understand that we want to get rid of all the fibroids and that hysterectomy is not the first option that they should provide to women. Then we also help women that are indigent. So we have a, in this part of you know, the world where we're from, we find a lot of women who their, their daily you know, wages or their daily living, they, they, they don't earn enough to be able to help themselves through hospital. And not, not everyone has health insurance. You understand? So sometimes we find people who are indigent who can't afford the cost of their care, mm-hmm. who are bleeding Profusely, who are actually hemorrhaging, and if there's no help inside, they're just going to, you know, eventually yeah. die. So we step in in those cases where we have people with life threatening cases. We try and help to raise funds, and you know, um, try and help them get solutions to 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 their um issues. Um. So those are those those are some of the things that we do. We're also building a community where you know people are sharing experiences. So yeah. I've had this. Ex- I share my experience. You've had the same experience. You share your experience. And like I said, with other people's experiences, women should be able to map out by themselves yeah. a treatment plan, a treatment pattern that works for them. Yeah. And remember that there is no one-size-fits-all approach yeah. to health. Yeah. Um, so what we do with My Gynae, and we are on um, www mygyne.org and gyne is spelled g-y-n-a-e mm-hmm. i like to spell it out because there's the American apparently there's the american yeah. and there's the british yes United. yes, <laughs> so, yes so gyne.org we are available there so anyone looking for information can connect with us um, via that we're available on instagram it's uh handle is My Issues. we're available on facebook We're and um and on youtube we're called My Issues Foundation. Um, on those platforms, I'm going to try and you know see how we can you know modify all these names so that everything is uniform. But initially, when I got the idea, when I conceived the idea, I called it My Giny Issues Foundation. But then you know, brand people, some people came and said, "Oh no, you don't want it to sound so negative." So right now, we're promoting My Gyni. We're leaving out the issues and and all. But the name that is actually registered right. is my guiding issues right. um, foundation. So yes, those are those are the um, uh, um avenues that you can reach us on. Um yeah. I'm also um, available on on Instagram. Um I'm at Lady OEO on Instagram. People can connect with me. Yeah. Um I don't charge any money for the work that I do. I do it with so much zeal and passion because like I said, I don't want anyone else to have to experience four major surgeries yeah. just to get rid of my I always say that fibroids is just a condition. Right. It's not a death sentence. It doesn't have to be a death sentence. I know women who've had other non-invasive procedures as well. Yeah. Because there are Increasingly, we're beginning to see that there are other non-invasive, non non-surgical procedures that people are using. And they're finding that they're actually working. Yeah. Um, recently, I know a young lady who, who had um, a procedure called high-intensity high focused because the ultrasound. Yeah. So if that's available, you know, by all means get take advantage it. So that, of it. That's in a nutshell. Thank you for
1: yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Oyinkan. I'm definitely going to put your information on the show notes for people who are interested in supporting. You're doing such great work. You know, you have lots and lots of resources and videos on your on your social media platforms including YouTube. So, I would really urge members of our community to watch that and you know, the fact that you're not even getting paid for this, this is just a passion project and you're making such an impact. It's more than enough incentive for for, you know, members of our community to patronize your organization and just to support because at the end of the day, one person cannot do it all. You can't do it without the support. So I'd really love to urge members of our community to like check out my www.mygyne.org and try to support the work that Oyinkans is doing. So I know we've already spoken a lot about, you know, the advice that you have, especially for women in the community. So what more do you have to add before we wrap up this conversation?
0: So the the last thing I'd like to say is that you are not alone as a woman. If you have any, even as a man, any yeah. health condition whatsoever, reach out. There are other people out there. You'd be surprised to to note that there are other people who've gone through your experience. You are not alone. You don't have to suffer in silence. Yeah. You don't have to, you know to manage the condition. You want to get help when you need help. You want to make sure that you know you connect to the right people who have the right resources to yeah. help you. That's what I want to say. And, and, and that women after fibroids, there is life after fibroids. Um, if you had the opportunity to see before and after pictures, you'd be able to see that, you know, there is um, life after fibroids. Yeah. And that's basically what I want to say.
1: Right. Thank you, thank, thank you so much, Oyinkan. So a few things that I learned from your, from talking to you, which has been consistent throughout a couple of other episodes that we've had is the importance of being your own advocate. You know, so I also want to urge members of our community to not only be supportive of women, especially who go through these issues, and also not only to have empathy, but also to encourage one another to be each other's advocate and to make sure that, you know, if you don't feel like something is the right thing to do or if you don't feel like what a doctor is trying to tell you to do, then it's probably not right for you. It doesn't mean the doctor is not right, but it's probably not right for you. So listen mm-hmm. to yourself first. I know that sometimes it's very difficult to be your advocate, especially in the African environment, like doctors who feel like you're trying to tell them what to do. They're the professionals, right? So... I mean, if that's the case, just use another doctor until you will find that doctor who will listen to you and who will basically, for lack of a better word, vibe with you. Because your situation is evidence that for all the women who are very shy, who are shying away from doing surgery, fibroid surgery, or at least who are discouraged and afraid, your own experience is evidence that you can have all those surgeries and still come up right and okay on the other side. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story. You know, I really hope that the conversation doesn't end here and it's definitely not going to end here between both of us. And also on this topic, you know, I will closely be following what you're doing through your organization and I'm sure to send my own support as much as I could and I just want to thank you immensely for taking the time to share your story on this platform
0: and I guess we will talk more definitely just before you go I just as you were talking I remembered but I'd like to put it because you, you already touched on it yeah. but I'd like to say that women are allowed several opinions so you need you you allowed a second opinion if you need one yeah you allowed a third opinion in fact I said to women if you need a tenth opinion by all means get it yeah the chances are that if all the doctors are saying the same thing yeah they're all they're they're all it means that you know that's the option that you should you should choose you should never you know be compelled to do something that you know doesn't sit right your your, uh, belief yeah Mm -hmm. thank
1: you thank Thank you you so much (laughs) thank you you're welcome and i'll catch you in the next episode bye
0: Anyo fambad thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another